Countrywide on RTE Radio 1, sponsored by the Irish Farmers Journal, bringing 379,000 readers the latest farming news and the best of rural Ireland weekly. Let me move on to another idea now. A new deal for nature, a Paris Agreement for Biodiversity, an intergovernmental treaty to do for the natural world what COP21 in France did for climate. That is the goal of another UN Conference of the Parties, COP, underway in Montreal right now. They're aiming to get 196 countries to set red lines for the decline of the natural world. The United Nations Secretary General, Antonio Guterres, was pretty graphic about the extent of our failure to date. We are treating nature like a toilet. The loss of nature and biodiversity comes with a steep human cost. This conference is our chance to stop this orgy of destruction. No excuses, no delays. Promises made must be promises kept. So how have we been at keeping the promises that we made? With a whole new set now of biodiversity ambitions and targets about to be generated by the COP in Canada, it might be a good time to see how we have done on the ones that we previously said that we would keep. I spoke yesterday to Professor Jane Stout, an ecologist from Trinity College, Dublin. And as we are in a bit of a perma-poly crisis at the moment, I asked her to make the case for why the biodiversity crisis was as deserving of attention as all of our other crises. Um, that's a big question. So uh, when we when we talk about biodiversity, uh, we talk about it being our life support system. So the food we eat, the air we breathe, the water we drink, all of that uh, is a result of the ecological system that we are part of. So we've got all these other changes coming along. We've got climate change, we've got social change, we've got policy change. All of these changes risk and threaten our biodiversity. And that in turn then risks and threatens the provision of things that we need. So food, uh, fuel, shelter, water. And if we look now uh, at um, business community, um, the World uh, Economic Forum has now put biodiversity loss as one of the top three global risks to to businesses uh, uh, over the next 10 years. It's not just a nice to have. It's really fundamental to everything we do. There is a nice to have and very easy to read report card on our biodiversity, Ireland's National Biodiversity Index, which is done in a traffic light system. First impressions, a lot of reds in there, a lot of ambers, very few, if any at all, greens. Yes, unfortunately, that is the situation. And, you know, most people don't realise that. You step outside the door, there's still trees, there's still birds, there's still green. You don't notice this uh, slow erosion of nature. But yeah, the state of Ireland's biodiversity is of concern. There are more than 30,000 different species in Ireland. We have only assessed a relatively small number under this framework. By that measurement, how are we doing? So we've assessed nationally about 10% of our species. And of those species that have been assessed, one in five are at risk of extinction. So that's a fairly sobering statistic uh, that of the species that we know enough about. Because in order to do these assessments, you need a huge amount of information about the species and what they're doing and how their populations are faring and where they are. And for most species, we actually don't know that. For those that we do know enough to assess them, one in five at risk of extinction. Even more shocking than that, of those that we have assessed, 3% are regionally extinct. Now, what does regionally extinct mean? So that just means that they're, they're no longer found in Ireland. It means they're not extinct from the planet. 
they're somewhere else, but we don't find them anymore here. But they here. should be here. They were here in the past, yeah. 15% critically endangered, a further 9% are near threatened. That is almost, when you add it to the other figure, a third of the species that we have looked at that are somewhere on this spectrum between regionally extinct mm-hmm. and threatened. That's a pretty grim picture, isn't it, Jane? It's a big proportion. And really, you know, when we think about biodiversity, often we do talk about species. But remember, biodiversity is also the diversity of habitats and ecosystem types. So as we erode habitats and we lose ecosystems or they become degraded or they become more um, monotonous, more samey, then we lose the species that live there. So it's it's... It's thinking about biodiversity at more than just the species level, thinking about habitats. Loss of habitats leads to loss of species. And also when we lose habitats uh, or, or they become uh, smaller or more separated, then the population, so the number of individuals of each of those species also declines. Can we get the benefit of your area of expertise, uh, insects, mm-hmm. Red traffic lights, again, for insects, red traffic lights specifically for bumblebees and for butterflies. Would it take much, though, do you think, to move the dial on that to get to amber, to get to green? One of the difficult things uh, about insects is that they're very mobile and they're quite difficult to survey, so to understand how many we've got of different species. Um, So tracking change is difficult. But in terms of moving the dial, we've been working very hard over the last seven years with the All-Ireland Pollinator Plan to do exactly that, to reverse this decline, uh, to try and reverse the trend of decline to to, uh, an increase of pollinators, including bees and butterflies. And in seven years, have you seen much movement? And that's the problem is we don't have the data to show us whether the, the, the insect populations have actually recovered. What we have seen is a huge increase in the number of areas and the amount of area that's being managed in a pollinator friendly way and a huge increase in awareness and a huge increase in effort across all sectors from farmers to businesses to local communities and councils. A listener question for you. Somebody would like to know, should light pollution be considered as a threat to biodiversity and should its management be part of new targets? Yeah, light pollution is an interesting one. So um, a lot of animals are affected by light. It affects their behaviour. It can disrupt when they're active. It can disrupt what they're doing. In terms of insects, for example, uh, moths are active at night. Uh, They're important pollinators. Um, They can be influenced uh, both in terms of their foraging behaviour and their reproductive behaviour by light. Um, Different kinds of light have different impacts on on, on different groups of animals. Um, So it depends on the wavelength of light. Um, But it's certainly it's something that is is of concern as we tend to, to light up the night skies more now. But again, they haven't stood still for the person with the clipboard to let you know whether the population is very hard to survey things that fly around at night, <laughs> yeah, yes. Yeah, okay. <laughs> uh, turning to what is going on in Montreal then in COP15, would a Paris Agreement for Biodiversity make any difference, do you think? I think it would, because I think it would, uh, I mean, if there is a global agreed framework, so that's what they're trying to get to is is this global framework for biodiversity um, it would bring it up the political agenda. Um, it What it would do, hopefully, would be to help protect biodiversity and, and at the same time, indigenous rights uh, to try and in, increase um, the enforcement of, of environmental laws that we already have. And we also need to see policy integration. So we need to see that uh, nature policy integrates with other kind of policies that we have in terms of agriculture and forestry, etc. So we need to, to make sure the policies line up. Has policy change on climate action ended up 
excuse the pun, sucking the oxygen out of the room for biodiversity, do you get less attention because people are placing a higher priority on climate action? There is a bit of a, a danger of this, you know, tunnel vision on, on car- carbon emissions and just looking at carbon emissions and doing anything you can to reduce carbon emissions. Um, we need to be uh, aware that some actions for, for reducing carbon could have negative impacts on biodiversity. So it's about understanding those potential impacts and, and managing for them and looking at win-wins. You know, we want to look at solutions that have benefits for biodiversity and for tackling the climate uh, crisis. Somebody we have- had on this programme a few weeks ago, a farmer said, farmers don't know an awful lot about biodiversity, but they know what nature is. Would it be fair to say that the biggest agents of potential change here on biodiversity are farmers? Yeah, I mean, the the farming community does an amazing job, actually, in terms of protecting a lot of our biodiversity and, and they're custodians of biodiversity for the future. And, and they care. They care um, about nature and about looking after nature. It's just that sometimes the policy instruments uh, and the, the tight margins under which they're working don't allow them to, uh, to do what they would like to do, perhaps. Um, and some of the policies in the past have been uh, more destructive to biodiversity than they could have been. Hopefully we'll see that turnaround in the future. But at the moment, um, farmers rightly are, are saying, well, if you want us to protect this stuff, then we need to be compensated for it. Uh, and I think that's fair enough. Professor Jane Stead, thank you very much for joining very us welcome. this morning. Thank you. Thank you.